Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes. This is Videocast, episode 65. Podcast, episode 55 for the week ending January 15th, 2021. A uh, lot to cover today. We're going to start off with our media spot so we can cover a lot of information in a short period of time. And we have a lot of new stuff to cover on this call, so I'm going to speak faster than normal to squeeze it all in. Uh, first, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman and Ed Krajewski for having me on the Clayman Countdown this afternoon. Uh, and we discussed... Uh, retail sales were a little weak, negative 70 basis points versus uh, negative 20 basis points estimated. But the last print was negative 1.4%. Uh, and this was attributable, I, I laid out with Liz, to the delayed stimulus, uh, the political wrangling that happened before and uh, after the election uh, hurt confidence a little bit. The regional shutdowns and the case spikes hurt confidence. So that hurt retail sales for the most recent print. It also hurt Mi uh, Michigan consumer sentiment, missed expectations, 79.2 versus 80 versus uh 80 on the estimates and 80.7 on the last print. So you saw retail and travel and leisure down today. Michael stores, Bed Bath & Beyond, GameStop, uh, the airlines, the uh, casinos, uh, etc. And then we talked about bank earnings. So basically what you had today was uh, all three banks beat earnings estimates on the bottom line. Uh, only JP Morgan beat on the top line. Citi and Wells Fargo missed on the top line. So uh, Citi and Wells Fargo were off 6 and 7%, and JP Morgan was down about 1 or 1.5%. 1 and what I said to Liz was, in the last 10 weeks, uh, Citibank is up 72.5% in 10 weeks, Wells Fargo is up 70 was up 70 percent uh, in five week in 10 weeks going into earnings. So the fact that they corrected six and seven percent, it was basically a buy the rumor, sell the news. And then JP Morgan was up only uh, 50 percent in the last 10 weeks, and they only corrected one and a half percent. So this certainly was buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, and what I laid out was. You know, in coming days and weeks, as you see weakness, this will be an opportunity to pick them up for the long term. Uh, on Wells, you know, maybe you'll get it in the low 30s. If you're lucky, you'll get it in the high 20s uh, and just tuck it away and don't worry about the volatility. Uh, that's it. That's a big holding for us. We have from the low and mid 20s uh, a quite a, quite a nice position, and uh, it's had quite a nice run in the last 10 weeks. So. Um, so that's just a, a, an opportunity. Looking forward to next week, we're looking at uh, Bank of America and Goldman Sachs. Now expectations are lower. They will probably positively beat on Tuesday. The market's closed on Monday. And then Morgan Stanley's the day after that. Uh, and then you've got big tech on uh, on um, Thursday with IBM and Intel Dow components. So we get to see a sense of uh, corporate demand for enterprise and for chips. Uh, and that was basically that. So thank you to Liz and Ed for having me on today. Then moving along to uh, last night, 
Chibuke Ogu uh, asked me for some thoughts on the markets after the close. You know, the market was down after the stimulus. We'll talk a little bit about that, the stimulus announcement, rather, that the market wasn't happy. And, and that really has to do with expectations. You know, uh, President-elect Biden uh, is probably not very accustomed to speaking to the market, and maybe he doesn't really care what the market uh, does. But uh, he had promised trillions, multiple trillions uh, last week in the new stimulus. Uh, this first batch is 1.9 trillion uh didn't get up to two or three which was the implication of the earlier words so met or or not quite met expectations uh market was a little soft on that we'll we'll speak to that because there's the second package the clean energy and the uh, infrastructure that'll come after the fact um and uh but i said really the, the market wants to see what uh the banks are going to say tomorrow uh, if they're starting to take down credit reserves, resume buybacks and provide guidance that shows the economy is improving. All three of those things happened today. I think it was profit taking. I think you'll probably see a little more. Generally, when you see a sell off like that, you wait, you know, three days and then uh, you start to nibble and, and pick up for the long term. Remember, uh, you know, in the case of City and uh, Wells, they're still trading at a discount to book. That's a long term opportunity. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about some of the catalysts uh, moving forward. But uh, all in all, uh, generally positive and uh, good day on that front. Uh, next, on Wednesday night, I was on BBC World News with Mariko Oi and, um, and want to thank Mariko and Derek Kai for having me on. And what she wanted to know about was the impeachment in the House and the impact on the markets. Uh, and basically I said it's more symbolic than substantive. You know, certainly it's the first president to be impeached in uh, two times of 45. Uh, Ten Republicans joined, so, you know, 222 Democrats. So it was a clear message uh, about their feelings about what happened last week. And um, But he'd have to be impeached by the Senate, which at that point we knew was not going to happen before the inauguration. And then there comes a constitutional question. Can you remove someone who's from office who's no longer in office, which will be the question in the Senate? So even if they have the trial to try to impeach him, um, it's unclear whether even if they're successful and it requires a two thirds vote, which they may or may not get after the trial, uh, would it preclude him from running four years down the road? And uh, constitutionally, I think probably not, but I'm not a constitutional lawyer. And that is because as defined by the constitution, it's designed, the act of impeachment is to remove someone from office. Someone no longer in office can't be impeached, which is why they would need to have the trial on the 19th and the senators won't be back. So, um, so that's that. The other reason the market was down as far as Chibuke's article was that uh, on the impeachment news, the market was worried that now the Senate and Congress will be more focused on the past than the future, meaning they'll spend all their time trying uh, President Trump for impeachment in the Senate to remove him from an office he's no longer in instead of getting through the stimulus packages and getting through the infrastructure packages and moving the country forward. And it may very well muck up uh, with an M <laughs> or an F if you're a close friend, but uh, it may well muck up the first 100-day plan that every president likes to come out of the gate strong, get all their initiatives done. And if you blow that, you generally get the goodwill for the 100 days. And if you blow that because Congress is distracted on other things, it hurts the country. 
and uh, hurts a lot of people who need help right now. So uh, hopefully they don't make that mistake. But so far, it looks like they're they're headed in that direction. And I think that's partially why the market was uh, was a little uh, soft uh, today. In addition to the banks and everything else, it was the stimulus didn't meet expectations. Is Congress going to be distracted? Banks was to sell the news and profit taking and then they'll you know take a breather for a few days or weeks, regroup, and then they'll go on to make new highs. And then um, the other point was uh, she asked about the New York City contracts. It's immaterial. I mean, it basically, that's uh, $17 million a year to the Trump organization. You know, it is what it is. Uh, the carousel, the skating rinks, and the golf course. It'll be interesting to see, though, because when they took over the Woolman Rink, if you remember back in the 80s, they couldn't get it built. They'd spent, you know, obscene amounts of money. Uh, finally, the, the mayor at the time just gave up and uh, Trump came in. He got it built. You know, he called a guy who had built hockey rinks for the NHL in Canada because he was a friend from Mar-a-Lago. The guy came in in like no time at all. They built the most beautiful rink. It was working in like a month, you know, on time, under budget. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to the carousel, the skating rinks and the golf course, uh, it, you know, as they're no longer running it. But uh, it is what it is. It's uh, political payback. And uh, that's the game. Uh, stock market. Um, so she said, if they're not focused on the impeachment, what is the stock market focused on? The stock market is focused on the stimulus getting done. Now it seems to be a little bit, you know, sideways in terms of slightly less than expected. Also, it's, you know, it's getting to be a lot of money here. When you add it up, it's going to get close to, you know, <laughs> when all is said and done with the clean energy. I mean, we could start to approach 50% uh, of GDP. And that's why you're seeing the 10-year yield start to blow out because people don't necessarily want to be a creditor to that level of spending. So it might be a little harder to get one nine through, maybe one one. We'll see. Obviously, it's a blue wave, but it's very tight in the Senate. So if you get a, a centrist a Democrat might say this is a little too much. What are we doing to our future? And uh, the market's starting to digest some of that. Some of the language about dividend uh, taxes going up for high income earners and, you know, that whole narrative of uh, higher taxes is also going to be a, a, a short-term headwind until there's clarity. Uh, uh, the second thing the market's focused on is earnings, which started today. Uh, on balance, look, they all beat. Uh, you know, revenues were a little light in City and, um, and in Wells Fargo. But, uh, you know, you're coming out of a pandemic. You know, half the country is still sheltered in place. Regional shutdowns. We saw the jobless rate spike because of these regional shutdowns and because of the case spikes in recent weeks. So, you know, it's going to take a little while to get through that here. Soft spot. This uh, stimulus, the $900 billion that's just gotten out, plus the... Um, uh, now 1.9 trillion. Let's let's call it 1.5 when it gets through uh, both House and you know the House and the Senate. Uh, that's going to be a material amount of money. And then the most important thing is you can have all the money in the world, but until people get out of their house, it's not going to circulate. So the fact that uh, vac vaccinations started off slow, now they're over a million a day. That's very very positive for the stock market and. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll move. And then finally, they were focused on the Fed, um, which Clarita, uh, Vice Chair Clarita came out that night and said that there will be no raise of uh, short rates until inflation is over 2% for at least a year. And um, and that's that's the story. So um, and then Fred Powell, uh, Chair Powell came out the next day. He was also dovish, not quite as dovish, but dovish enough. Uh, and that was that. So thank you to Mariko Oy and Derek Kai for having me on Bloomberg. 
Then uh, this was a busy week. Paulina Lykos over at uh, US News asked me to talk about REITs. And, you know, REITs have been weak. They, they've not come back as quickly as the rest of the market. I think that's an opportunity. And what my quote in her article was, with the yield curve now at its steepest in several years, this is a good time for mortgage REITs. Um, as rates rise, uh, uh, da, 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 that, okay, so I'm basically talking between the short end of the curve and the long end, what they borrow and, what they, and the yield of what they buy. And um, short rates are going to stay low. This is going to be a good thing for REITs. I think there's an opportunity here. I think that certain pockets are inexpensive, and you can go ahead and see her article over at U.S. News & World Report. Thanks to Paulina. Next on Wednesday or Tuesday, Tuesday it was, uh, was on CGTN America Global Business with um Roe Ruttenberg, thank you to Roe and also Stephanie Savage for having me on CGTN America. We talked about uh, China inflation CPI. Now their GDP targets are uh, eight to nine percent. I've been talking about five to six percent in the US for four or five months now. Everyone thought I was crazy. We're going to talk about now now Wall Street consensus is starting to move up to where where we've been. Um, and uh, Goldman put out a note this week, so we'll cover that. But as far as the uh, China Global um, hit, uh, CPI was basically uh, came in better than expected, and that was due to uh, food prices rising, feed costs rose, vegetable prices uh, rose because they had to ship from the southern China due to the cold weather, non-food prices were flat, PPI was better than expected uh, for producers. The raw material prices were up. Metals, you're seeing it in metals, were better. Uh, and strong manufacturing recovery. So um, imports and exports numbers we saw were strong. And the China Beige Book showed that uh, they expect to be back at pre-pandemic profitability within the first quarter of 2021 on improved construction demand. And, uh, you know, the consumer has been lagging, but they're starting to catch up. The, the government is focused on the dual circulation program, which means more dependence on uh, internal consumption, try to maintain exports. Obviously, uh, the trade environments become a little more difficult for them. Um, that may change and produce all their semiconductors uh, domestically by 2025 and increase the middle class through narrowing the wealth gap. That'll be easier said than done, but that is one of their initiatives, as well as internal investment in high-tech manufacturing, EV charging stations, and artificial intelligence. So the risk to this, though, you know, we talk about 120% debt to GDP in the U.S., uh, which is World War II levels, and we got down to 60% five years later through growth. I think we'll probably have a similar situation if we don't overdo it. You know, the problem is we keep putting out stimulus and stimulus and stimulus because we think we need more because people are at home. I mean, if we put out, as we put out vaccines and vaccines and vaccines, the magnitude of what we've already put out, 2.3 trillion plus the 900 billion, which was net 500 because 400 was carried over from the first 2.3 in the CARES, uh, but still 2.7. Remember, GDP is only going to contract, you know, three and a half. So, you know, 700 billion, there's uh, 2.7 plus another 3 billion of monetary uh, uh, support. And now you're adding on top of that uh, another, you know, 1.9 trillion and then there's going to be another trillion dollars after that plus maybe a trillion two trillion for 
green and uh, infrastructure plays. So uh, it's a lot of money. So that, so that's the bad news. The good news is the 10-year yield keeps uh, increasing. And that's increasing the net interest margin, which has really happened in earnest like the last six weeks. So that's going to start to show up in Q1 net interest margin, net interest income for the banks. Uh, again, that's a positive thing. Furthermore, all those stimulus checks, you know, I put out an article, the bankruptcies, personal bankruptcies were at a 25 year low. So people aren't spending the money. They're not running up their credits and they're building up savings like like we've never seen before, which we'll cover in this week's article. So uh, China, on the other hand, is at 266 percent of GDP. It's expected to hit 275 percent of GDP, debt to GDP uh, this year. So the government said we got to pull back on stimulus. So while we're full throttle, uh, they're starting to pull back already, which may be premature. And that's where I said that's the risk to their 8 to 9% outlook. Uh, they'll probably be okay, but they're pulling back the deficit spending from a record 3.6% of GDP to uh, 3% of GDP. And uh, we'll see how they navigate the domestic, increasing domestic consumption while pulling back the deficit spending before everyone's vaccinated. But uh, nonetheless, they've, they've had a quick recovery. They'll be the only developed nation uh, to print a positive GDP in 2020, uh, 2 to 2.5%. Two and, and that's just because they went into it earlier, a few months earlier than everyone else because it started there and they came out earlier. So they had the benefit of basically an extra quarter. Uh, so thank you again to Roe and to Stephanie. Moving along to uh, uh, Tuesday, I was on the Clayman Countdown also um, with Liz Clayman and also want to thank Ed and Jackie for having me on Tuesday. And uh, what we were covering, there was the uh, CES conference, the electronics conference, and... GM was uh, launching their flying cars and uh, talking about their EV, uh, electric vehicle and autonomous vehicle future. And Tesla was up huge that day. Neo was up huge that day. And I said, you know, she asked me about was it time for these, you know, what's going on with these stocks. And I said, look, Liz, the the thing that I've learned in this business is opinion follows trend. You know, now that Tesla's up 776 percent in uh, in the last 12 months, and Neo is up 1700 uh, percent in the last 12 months, everyone wants them. They're priced for perfection. Tesla would have to grow 26 percent compound annual growth rate for the next 10 years, and deliver 5.1 million cars in 2010. Uh, excuse me, 2030, just to fulfill their current price target of $900. So you're you're paying for 10 years of possible perfection. You're paying for that today. Um, and uh, so you're paying 212 times uh, uh, 2021 earnings for Tesla. You're paying 25 times sales for NEO. They have no earnings. Uh, versus GM, which is going to launch 30 electric vehicles by 2025. They've invested $27 billion. They're trading at 9.9 .9 times uh, earnings. And now it's probably a little more because since that hit, uh, GM uh, was up quite a bit this week. Um, and they're going to have the EV Hummer. They're going to have, uh, and they announced the EV 600 van, 
which uh, FedEx, I believe, is partnering. Yeah, FedEx is partnering with them. They're going to do all their electric delivery vans, uh, or quite a few of them, which is a big deal. And that's you know 9.9 times versus 212 times earnings. That's a better deal. And then Ford, same story. Instead of 30 EVs like GM, they're going to have 40 EVs in the next couple of years, 40 EVs and hybrid vehicles, 11 and a half billion dollars of investment by the next uh, by 2022, and. Uh, they're going to have their electric vehicle um, F-150s uh, probably in at some point, and they're coming out with the electric vehicle Mustang uh, very quickly, and I think they've got a, something like a quarter million reservations on those, trading at 9.45 times 2021 earnings, again, relative to 212. Uh, what we're seeing, though, in countries like China and France, where subsidies, EV subsidies are rolling off, is that that sales are falling. So the minute the government steps out of that market and they don't become competitive on price, uh, sales fall off. And um, in those areas where competition crept, crept up, like EU and China for Tesla, Tesla lost share. Uh, but the pie gets bigger, so that's, I'm not terribly worried, but more competition is coming. Apple will be coming in down the road, etc. So that's something to keep an eye on. And my play, you know, all these electric vehicles, even if you get to 5% or 10% in the next 10 or 15 years, what are you going to need to charge them? You're going to need electricity. And in, in the theme of the, the reflation trade and the commodity super cycle beginning again, which we've talked about in recent calls, uh, my play was, you know, to electrify it, we're going to need natural gas. And, you know, many natural gas stocks have been left for dead. I named two range research resources and um, uh, Jerry Jones deal Comstock resources. So we'll, we'll uh, talk about those themes in this uh, podcast video cast. Moving along, uh, earlier in the week, uh, I wanted to thank um, Chibuke Ogu again. And this was about the weakness in tech earlier in the week. And, and I said the weakness uh, was led by tech. And I think the banning of uh, Trump's account by Twitter and Amazon stepping up against Parler brought a renewed focus on increased regulation and reigning in tech. So with all these antitrust suits all over, the uh, digital services uh, suits in Europe, you know, doing this type of um, unilateral action, justified or not, puts a worry of like, wow, these, these companies just have so much power. And, uh, and I think the market started to say, okay, well, it's, you know, on the one hand, many people felt, okay, they can do this, that might be good term thing in the short term, but then why aren't they doing it to these other you know, bad people in the world? And then it just starts this whole ball. And then what will be the impact when all the followers leave? Uh, so, you know, it just more brought more attention on big tech's role in, you know, good things and bad things happening. Uh, and then how they need to be regulated. But the moral of the story is regulated is the key word, and that's usually a smokescreen for taxed. Uh, and you heard President Biden talking about fair share. Uh, it was the context of these big tech companies paying, you know, he said no taxes. So they're going to figure out a way, and they're certainly not going to let Europe get 6 to 10% of revenues from the Digital Services Act, uh, Act in taxes without getting their share first, or as uh, President-elect Biden would say, fair share. Uh, so they're going to extract money from them, or they're going to uh, impose regulation and probably a combination of both and uh, that was acute on Monday and Tuesday and that's what the market was sniffing out 
And then lastly, Devik Jane and Meta Singh, thank you on Monday morning for thinking of me. Uh, and this was related to, you know, again, the weakness regarding uh, impeaching Trump in the Senate would take their eye off the ball on doing the additional stimulus. And we'll see that. I mean, I think the market's really grappling with that now because the trial doesn't happen in 10 minutes. Uh, and President Biden really needs to hit the ground running because we're, you know, we're in a sensitive situation. We lost three months or two months post-election with, you know, kind of distracted leadership all around and distracted focus and case counts increasing. So, you know, uh, and shutdowns, regional shutdowns, um, although now with the stimulus coming to the state and local governments from uh, Biden, now it looks like New York is going to open now that they're getting their stimulus, their, their bailout, uh, local bailout, which is great. I mean, open the economy and hopefully California will will follow their lead, although they're, they've got some really uh, severe cases despite their um, uh, excessive restrictions uh, in in recent weeks. So the moral of the story is a million plus vaccinations a day. We need to ramp it up, and I think it's happening. It's getting organized. I, I would I would not be surprised in two or three weeks if we're at you know two three million a day. You do the math plus the people who have been infected. What you're going to see is. Every time someone gets vaccinated, you take one side of the equation down, the, the virus is going to run out of hosts, maybe even sooner than herd immunity. So uh, this could happen very, very quickly. And then the trillions of dollars that's in people's checkings accounts and all this stimulus is going to start to circulate. And that's why people are starting to price in inflation. And that's why the 10-year yield is going up. And uh, that's why we believe the commodities are going to do well and value stocks are going to do well moving forward. Okay, uh, want to do a quick um, ask me anything each week. Uh, you can email your questions info at hedgefundtips.com and I try to cover them. John, who who chimes in every few weeks, uh, owns the newspaper group in in Ohio, says Thomas, thanks, thank you. As always, thank you for the great info all week. With talks of inflation and rising interest rates, is it time to look at bonds? If so, what are the options to do so? Also, with the fear of a bubble, how can one best protect their portfolio against a sharp pullback? Okay, so two things. When interest rates are rising and inflation expectations are coming, you generally want to be getting out of bonds because a small rise in rates can lead to a permanent impairment of capital. So I'd be generally avoiding bonds unless you have long bonds in your portfolio as a volatility hedge, which is a, a more complex thing and it may not actually um, act in the way that you want to. So, so uh, my general view is if you're doing bonds, you have to be very short duration because every you know, 50 basis points up in the 10 year is going to have an impact on the price of your bonds uh, mark to market. And if you still want to have bonds, uh, you know, maybe try TIPS, T-I-P-S is the ETF you can get exposure to inflation protected securities. At least you'll retain your purchasing power and get paid at the rate of inflation. So that's an option in terms of bonds. As far as fear of a bubble, what, this is recency bias. Yes, I said in the article this week that uh, we may get ghosted, we may get a pullback or a consolidation. The market can correct in time or in price. 
but we, you know, we're due to take a breather here. You know, you got a new administration, you got distractions in DC. We have had a huge 75 or 70, 75 percent run off the bottom of the S&P since March. Uh, it's natural to digest gains. But the recency bias is to think, oh, now we run up, now we're going to crash again. And that's not a way to look at it. We're at the beginning of a new business cycle. And this is when you get paid to um, buy you know, the laggards of 2020 will become the leaders of 21 and 22. And we're going to spend a lot of uh, time on that discussing it. So the opportunity, if the market is consolidating, or even if you get a pullback or correction in the next few months, number one, I think we're going to finish the year up uh, higher. So mid teens uh, from the beginning of the year. So even if you got, you know, what would be the average intra-year drawdown uh, about of about 14%, which I think is actually unlikely. I think five to 10% is more likely if we get that. I would just ride it out, and and um, you know, a five to 10% market correction will be uh, more for individual stocks. So like banks could take a breather here that what an um, what a lucky opportunity after missing the 70% move in the last 10 weeks if you're able to get something like Wells Fargo in the high 20s or low 30s that's exciting if you're able to get uh, Bank of America you know at, at around 30 bucks for the long term or, or city in the 60s you know so all these things just represent you know and some of the energy stocks maybe they'll take a breather oil's been straight up for a number of weeks maybe you get a pullback on that um, and, you know, you can pick up some high quality names, you know, the big, the bigger ExxonMobil's, et cetera, uh, on a little bit of pullback. So again, uh, you need to speak to a financial advisor. I only deal with accredited investors. This is opinion for informational purposes. The disclaimers on hedgefundtips.com click on terms, but I just try to be helpful and, you know, call it as I see it and uh, just share what I'm, what I'm doing and, uh, personally and with my clients. Uh, now, how do you hedge if you really wanted to hedge, you know, um, so let's just say you had like an S&P 500 fund or SPY ETF or VTI total market or something like that. What you could basically do if you if you had an instinct of what, when you were going to get the correction, etc., um, you could actually self-finance, you know, you could, let's just say SPY was trading at $300. I, I, I don't know what that ETF is trading at, um, but uh, whatever. Let's just call it $300. And it's July, it's January. You could probably sell a uh, at the money 30. When I sell covered calls, I sell premium. I never sell naked anything. I'll, I'll do spreads, but that's a different game. But, but let's say I own the stock or the ETF, I would sell at the money. And so let's, let's just say the at the 30 day at the money is selling for $3. It's again, I'm just cuffing these numbers, but, um, I might want to hedge, uh, a hundred percent, but not limit my upside. So let's say I had, you know, a thousand shares of SPY. I might sell five contracts um 30 days out which would cover half of my uh stock holdings thousand shares five contracts it covers 500 shares at the money 30 days out why am i selling 30 days out because you get the greatest time decay 
within the last 30 days. In other words, when you're a seller of, of premium, covered premium, you want um, you want the the time value to erode as fast as possible. And mathematically, it does so in the last 30 days. So I'd sell at the monies, call it February or March, and then taking that money that is against half of my holdings, I might be able to buy a thousand or 10 contracts, 10 puts, not at the money, but slightly out of the money for free. So in other words, the money I took in by selling at the at the money calls against the stock I owned um, would be enough to buy full coverage for puts slightly out of the money. So if, if I sold them for $3, I might look for uh, if I sold you know five contracts for three dollars at the money of calls, I might look to buy ten contracts of puts slightly out of the money to cover a hundred percent of the portfolio. If you did get you know a slice through of seven and a half or ten percent, you'd have a hundred you, full thousand shares would be covered. But if you were wrong, number one, the insurance didn't cost you anything. But number two, since you only sold half or enough uh, five contracts, the other 500 shares could have unlimited upside even if you were wrong and you overhedged or overfeared, which is possible and probable in the middle of a new business cycle. We overestimate with recency bias that the market's gonna correct hard and sometimes it just corrects sideways in price and then you lose the upside on those 500 that you sold the money to generate. But the point is that you can still have upside, have zero cost for your hedge because you made it for selling against half of your shares and then you buy the puts against 100%. So it's a little complex, but look, here's what I, generally what I would suggest is just suck it up and uh, don't even think about it because the market goes up over time. We're in a new business cycle. Trillions and trillions of dollars of fiscal and monetary support is there and people are gonna leave their house. You've got global pent up demand and you know, just think three to five years out. Don't, don't overly concern yourself with the short term stuff because um, it's a full time job. It's a job that I love, but um, you know, on balance, you know, just, now now is a you'll get pullbacks the best thing you can do is have some dry powder so when you do get five and ten percent pullbacks in the market and you get some great um um recovery trade stocks that would be down you know 12 or 15 percent in that and you can add into that that's the opportunity of a lifetime because three three years out they can be up 70 100 percent plus and that's where you make your money so embrace volatility be excited if you if we actually do get five to ten percent back because i know a lot of people didn't get enough exposure uh in the weakness last year you should be praying for pullbacks and have that cash go to work uh in this weakness because uh you know very very low probability that we get anything major like we saw last year it's a new business cycle now and even in 2010 and 11 after you had the huge run up off the 2009 lows you had meaningful pullbacks 10 and 20 percent and and you should have just held through. And a lot of people got tied up thinking recency bias that was gonna go back to the 2009 lows and they missed a decade run and they kept trying to short everything and uh, and it hurt them. So great question, John. I hope that's helpful. So I basically answered your question and said, I probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> just hold some cash and add to high quality equities when you get, if and when you get any weakness in coming weeks uh, or a couple of months. 
And then we're probably going to finish out this year higher based on earnings, based on uh, pent-up demand, based on the vaccination uh, trending, based on 5 to 6% GDP, uh, based on all these positive things happening. So moving right along. Okay, Wells Fargo. Stock surges too. Okay, so, so this was early in the week. <laughs> you got all these upgrades going into earnings. And I, you know, coming in, I was like, man, this is running a little hot. Is it going to be sell to news? I thought we'd get a pop and then we'd roll over, but we didn't get the pop because uh, like they were just priced per to perfection and, you know, uh, going, going into earnings. But nonetheless, uh, this guy at UBS put it as his top pick. Could you imagine in August when I was talking about Wells Fargo, if anyone came out with a top pick? I mean, you know, so anyway, he raised his price target to $41. Uh, and he says, um, sizable multi-year, um, it's still a sizable multi-year underperformer. Company's weaknesses could turn into investment positives. Uh, modest improvements in the efficiency ratio, which we've talked about quite a bit. They have the higher than all of them. And Charlie Scharf talked about it today on the earnings call, how he's going to bring that down. And slight reductions in loan loss reserve could yield outsized earnings benefits. They started to take those down from the student loan portfolio. They're going to be taking more down coming forward. The CFO was on at the closing bell on CNBC today saying the exact same thing. And uh, Martinez said the risk versus reward profile of Wells Fargo appears to be asymmetrically positive. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, and um, that's that. Next, uh, Carlton English, who's my favorite bank reporter over at um, Barron's, put out this note. Uh, okay, so uh, on earnings and... So Wells Fargo provision for credit losses fell by 800. So they took down $823 million of their credit loss reserves. So again, they were over-reserved in Q1 or Q2. That was our central thesis. One was the yield curve was steepening. Two, new business cycle. And three was they were over-reserved. 757 was from selling off a student loan portfolio. So they've got a lot more work to do on the general loans, but it's moving in the right direction. And... Uh, Carlton points out, and she's been on this since day one, the bank's efficiency ratio has been higher than peers. Uh, uh, do, 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 do. So they're going to be taking that down. And the other aspect was the um, asset cap being a, you know, the $2 trillion asset cap being uh, removed will be a huge catalyst probably at some point in 2021, uh, which will be huge. And, but keep in mind, the stock was trading over $50 when they had the asset cap. So, so that would just be additional, um, you know, moving forward. Uh, da, 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 da. And that was that. So it was, you know, beat on the bottom line, light on the top line uh, from investment banking and some commercial, but that'll all come back. Then you had another article here from Bloomberg uh, CEO pledges more expense cuts after 1% reduction in 2020. So he brought it down a little bit. Um, and we made significant progress identifying efficiency opportunities across our businesses. And we started executing on those initiatives. Um, restructuring charges. So yeah, they're still getting like part of the reason it was down today was the legacy restructuring charges. Again, they're one time, but like investors that have been bagged in this thing that owned it at like 50 and $60 that wrote it all the way down to 21 uh, or $20 and 82 cents. And now like they have to still deal with this every quarter. 
Uh, I think they're just getting tired, and that's good. When they cry uncle, that's when the stock can start to go, uh, to, to really move. But, um, uh, bu -bu -bu -bu. okay, this was a key point. Um, so, Sharp pledged to eventually shave $10 billion off of annual expenses. Their net interest cost fell 5.2% in the fourth quarter to $14 billion. Um, However, he said that the company now has a clear line of sight to a 10% return on tangible common equity, a key measure of profitability, and expects to get to 15% over the long term. Now, contrast that to 2020, it came in at 1.3% return on tangible common equity. Uh, our, uh, da, 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 da. And that was that. So cutting costs, net interest margin, taking down credit reserves, all of these pieces are going to fit into the puzzle. But this was a really bold claim to take it up to 15% because we know he's going to cut the $10 billion over time. Those are a lot of outside contractors. But to get the return on tangible common equity up to 15%, from from 1.3 and it's got that operating leverage so it is going to happen it's not unrealistic but that that's a very positive statement that was under uh covered uh, today but that's okay that's going to create an opportunity for some of you in the coming days and weeks uh here's the yield curve it's still steep like crazy and as we see here historically when it goes from inverted to steep you know financials uh start multi-year bull runs and you know multi-year bull runs look you get this kind of chop that's part of the game you get that chop it's part of the game. So we'll, we'll have that and that's fine. And, you know, we're, we're going to move. So um, and then Carl, uh, Carlton also covered the Martinez upgrade. Uh, and what he said was the upshot Martinez over at UBS, the upshot of low profitability is that incrementally higher revenue and lower costs have outsized percentage point impacts on earnings. Again, that operating leverage. And he, he estimates that each 1% reduction in the bank's 2020 efficiency ratio could boost pre-tax earnings by 3.8%, which enables them to buy back more stocks. If you remember the C-car catalyst, they can now buy back stocks, which they're starting to do uh, in line with the formula. So moving right along to energy. Um, Obviously, opinion follows trend both on banks, you know, up 70%. Now everyone wanted wells. And of course, it's got to sell off and breathe. And same thing with City. Same thing with energy stocks. They've had a huge run here. So now all the bullish articles are coming out. So take them with a grain of salt and use, like in my answer to John, use any weakness or consolidation over the next few weeks. Now everyone that's getting in late after the first leg up, um, as, they, as the late money panics out on a 5% or 10% pullback, you'll be able to buy it up. But uh, this article from Simon Constable over, at, uh, Constable over at Barron's, oil producers are curbing supplies, expect the oil rally to continue. And um, quote, uh, this is Art Hogan over at National Securities, we expect prices to peak at 65 and remain in the range of 55 to 65, uh, you know, uh, Okay, and they're talking and the extra million cuts from Saudi Arabia, which was a positive surprise, in addition to the long term cuts, the 5.7 till uh, 7.7 down to 5.7 until April of 2022. And then again, the key is going to be how quick do the vaccinations get in, because I know I, I, I know so many people booking trips for 
you know, some even in March and April that, that, uh, but that, that's probably too soon, but they've gotten their first dose and et cetera. But, uh, certainly for the back half of the year, a lot of people are already booking air travel, you know, cruise travel will probably be a little later than that. Uh, road trips are going to be huge this summer. So you're going to see just a torrent of demand of these people that want to travel and they've got a boatload of cash to travel with and more coming. It looks like another 1400 for lower income people is going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks uh, if they can get that through the Senate. So um, the House and the Senate. So that is uh, more positive news. Softening dollars. So that's had a huge move. We might get a counter trend bounce here in, in uh, Q1. So keep your eye out on that. I talked to uh, CNBC Indonesia about that a couple weeks ago that the trend was down, but you may see a counter trend bounce as we get this consolidation in the general market, a counter trend pullback for a long term uptrend at the beginning of a new business cycle. Now, this article just came out tonight uh, from Barron's Avi Salzman quoting. Tom Lee, and I like reading Tom's stuff, he says, I love this call, why energy could have a Tesla-like 2021. And his basis for this uh, argument is that energy stocks used to make up more than 10% of the S&P 500. Last year, they fell below 3%, actually closer to 2%. And um, the view is, why put 2% of your portfolio in energy when you could just add another... 2% to alphabet is what everyone was thinking. But the underweighting of energy, and this is what I was saying with pensions selling at the exact wrong time under the mask of, you know, ESG, it's going to be very tough as these names start, to, you know, many of them are now up 50 and 70%, but, you know, they'll pull back here, uh, justifying starting to miss their benchmarks as that weighting goes up in the indices back up to even if it only mean reverts not to 10 percent but to six percent the amount of underperformance they're going to have by being carbon free uh is going to be staggering so i think you're going to see a lot of chasing back in at the exact wrong time and how they'll do it is all these companies you know i think i read occidental is going to catch carbon in the air and do kind of some kind of stuff and BP has their whole plan. So so all the companies will have their stuff, you know, their narrative of how they're going to become carbon neutral and plant trees 30 years from now. And that will enable pension funds who have missed the first 50 to 100 percent to then jump back in saying they've changed their policy and they can buy up. And you listening to this will be able to lay off some of your stock that's up 100 and 150 percent to the pensions just getting back into the game when uh, companies have come out with clear ESG policies that can they can justify putting money to work. Um, I do think, you know, as I've said in the past, though, I think this this move here will accelerate the renewable movement. I think if we do get another run in the next couple of years to 70, 80 dollars, three, four dollars at the tank, I think that's when the switching costs to electric vehicles and obviously the cost of electric vehicles will be coming down at the same time will become economic for a lot of people. And uh, which is why I said to Liz that the play on EVs is actually natural gas because those stocks are extremely cheap. And, uh, you know, here's one that I named range resources. And, uh, you know, this one is is uh, unbelievable. Um, so, you know, I start buying this at 11 
82 and it just kept collapsing i think the basis is 422 on it now it's up to ten dollars a share and this is a long-term hold because i know we're we're somewhere in here in the in the secular run so i know you know three four years out this could be a 70 80 dollar stock uh or or a lot more by the way electric demand is gonna go up dramatically and uh you know the intermittency of renewables so so this is the the bridge fuel um, the bridge energy, and you see these ones that have stayed solvent. You know, you have your ones that were over levered, like Chesapeake's, the Toast. But you know, there's some left, like Comstock, like like Range Resources, like Southwest, uh, maybe maybe even Antero, that uh, that are going to have these monster, you know, four or five year runs, and they're going to be choppy as hell. You could buy it at ten, it could go back to six. You know, uh, me, I'd buy more. But you know, if you look out, I think this is going to be back to fifty, sixty, seventy, and maybe even more uh over the next five years and you know that that you you just can't get that in an index fund so you know having some type of allocation to to this uh is going to make a lot of sense so um so he's also embedded in his um tom lee's argument as to why oil can become tesla-like is the realignment of supply demand outlook for energy is the most dramatic of any sector lee wrote in his report on friday the new white house is likely to limit future supply growth capital availability is limited as private equity unlikely to bail out the sector like it did in 2016 and demand is set to recover as the global economy recelerates so the same basic argument that we've been making for for months but it was nice to see i I like the structure because you know there's kind of like this panic buying into or it has been this panic buying into tesla and opinion follows trend and i think you're going to see that it starts with the short squeeze and then you get the panic buying into energy and then you know towards the top is when pensions are going to really start to get exposure again and chase it up and and that's when you're going to just see those those parabolic moves but that's probably a couple years off this is an opportunity if we do get that consolidation and and uh sideways or or even down in some of these names in the next couple of months this will probably be the last time in this cycle to get you know get the bigger names so you don't have to deal with bankruptcies there will be more bankruptcies but uh you know for the next three to five years to get them and and for some of these are paying six seven eight percent dividends while you wait you know dividends are questionable i wouldn't be buying them for the dividends but you know for the bigger ones that's been their knitting that's how they retain their investors until the underlying business starts to restore so um it's it's a it's a it's a cyclical opportunity and and uh very exciting opportunity at that so um Okay, this was awesome. So Wells Fargo was a top pick this week after moving 70%. And then JP Morgan analyst turns bullish on ExxonMobil for the first time in seven years. Uh, he said, for the first time in seven years of covering integrated oil since the peak of the sector in 2014, we are upgrading ExxonMobil to overweight. Uh, so... Um, as we sit here today we think that the bar is materially lower execution might finally be turning a corner 2021 consensus too low at $50 a barrel Brent and the 7% dividend yield is more secure and valuation is more reasonable Gresh wrote perhaps most importantly we think that capital discipline is improving with the 20 to 25 billion of capex budget uh, self-imposed step required to preserve the dividend and balance sheet Uh, so 
that you know opinion follows trend. Those are moving. Here was uh, uh, Avi Salzman again over at Barron's. Five stocks to play the next uh, the next surge in natural gas, and he is uh, the base. And he covers Range Resources Southwest and Taro. Um, you know, and again, these are these are stocks that you, you put a small percentage. Uh, again, you get to consult with your financial advisor, terms and conditions, etc. This is opinion. But you put a small percentage of your equity and you just watch. You know, if you put 2% and it goes up 7x, that's 14% um, gains just with very low risk. And if it blows out or if you put four stocks in 2%. So uh, these are these are really cyclical opportunities at, at the beginning of new business cycles where you can really do tremendous. So the largest market factor that they're naming in this call on natural gas is a shortage of liquefied natural gas LNG, which can be transported by ship. Uh, Asia doesn't make much of its own natural gas, so it needs to import the liquefied version. And this year, de demand for gas is soaring because the weather has been unusually cold. Remember I mentioned in China, they had to ship the vegetables from Southern China and that increased food costs. Well, they also need LNG. We have the other um, terminal now on the East Coast in Maryland, I think Cove Point, if I recall correctly. Um, and uh, so so these things are finally going to have their day in their sun after just languishing around. And maybe they'll bump around for another year and a half, but who cares? You know, if you know three to five years out that they're going to be up five to seven X, you don't really care about the short term volatility. And when you have extra cash, you just add on the weakness. So uh, so that's what it looks like long term. And, um, you know, they were saying the exact same thing in 2000 to 2002. And, you know, it went went, by the way, from 90 cents to seventy three dollars in uh eight years 90 cents so 70 no that that's almost bitcoin like <laughs> returns yeah 80x no so uh nonetheless that's one piece of it here was an interesting article from um vanguard the huge indexer and their thesis is that value is now going to outperform growth because inflation is coming back so um they said the end of the value coma is coming. Our research indicates that a value premium does exist and that the recent outperformance of growth stocks can partially be explained by the downward trending long-term inflation levels and the lack of material acceleration in earnings growth over the past decade. So um, we, you know, one of the things that was the narrative of recent years was the Fed was pushing on a string like we need fiscal spending, we need fiscal spending. So now we have like probably way more fiscal spending than we should have. And we're going to figure that out when all these vaccinated folks get out of their houses and start partying uh, and that stimulus money and that spending hits the economy like a torrent of cash. And uh, we're going to see inflation and that 10 year yield. But um but it'll be fits and starts for a few months before we see that. But uh, this kind of this table shows how depressed it is. And it's exact same setup like when natural gas and oil were at these levels in 2000. Now, their thing is like they're going to do great, but they're going to do great because tech is going to do so poorly. I, I don't think that's the case. I, I think tech's going to do fine uh, ish. Uh, and I think that uh, these cyclicals and value that we've been talking about for the last, you know, four to six months are going to just 
dramatically outperform uh not to say that uh it has to be fully at the expense of so i'm less pessimistic on the rest of the market than vanguard is but i'm equally as optimistic on uh, value cyclicals and then um inflation plays are outperforming deflation assets by the most in 15 years as money pours into energy sector and tips this was by steve goldstein over at uh, market watch and it's a Bank of America note that he's citing. He's talking about inflows into inflation assets and performance. Um, so uh, investors are pouring their money into the inflation theme. Last week, we saw the second largest inflow into energy stocks, the third largest inflow into tips, and the sixth largest inflow to emerging markets. And the largest inflows to bank loans, which are uh, variable rate. That's also, John, you can look at bank loans. I'm not a huge fan, but, you know, they have adjustable interest, as, so it's something to consider. But uh, according to Bank of America data, municipal bonds, which are exempt from federal and most state taxes, saw record inflows as well. So uh, so this is the kind of stuff, the, this, this second largest inflow to energy stocks, third largest to tips, sixth largest to emerging markets. Okay, so we have exposure to all that, and... Uh, that's that's if you're if you have to play the short term for performance measurements that's usually when you want to consider doing a little bit of a short term hedge just because you know everyone's chasing it after it's up huge you'll get your 10 or 15% correction in these small pockets that have run hot and um for the for the large part just ignore it and ride it out you know, look look one to three years out, we're going to be much higher. It's not worth it. Certainly, if you're in a taxable account, it's definitely not worth it. Um, but uh, so so I'm I'm talking about these sectors, and they're they're ripe for some consolidation. So I I want to be you know I want to put these ideas out here, but I'm thinking from a one to three year term, they've had huge runs. So look for some weakness in coming weeks that you can get some exposure or add to your exposure uh but don't get cute and try to play it like get out of everything and try to get in everything because it might just keep running because a lot of money has missed it and a lot of money is chasing it and there's been a lot of money pumped into the system so don't get too cute but if you do get the weakness add if you don't get the weakness then just ride with what you got um okay those on the podcast as you can as i promised we have a lot to cover it, we're 56 minutes in this is going to cut off in three minutes what you'll want to do is go to hedgefundtips.com and uh scroll down to the right side where it says video casts click on it you'll see the youtube video and just fast forward to minute 60 the 60th minute and you can listen to the last whatever it's going to be 10 minutes after you get cut off you can view it on the video cast it's word for word the same thing Moving right along, uh, this was uh, related to the stimulus package, uh, and the, you know part of the reason that the market was less than enthusiastic. The overall size of the package was less than the rumored two trillion dollars, uh, and the wide scope of the proposal implies that getting it through the Senate will be a Herculean task, especially with this additional friction of the trial happening, and that's what. The market's been kind of pushing and pulling about this week is you know you're going to impeach someone who's no longer in office and constitutionally it may not help you stop him from running again i think that's already you know 
who knows what the future holds, but I think it's, you know, probably a low probability anyway. The high probability is get your package out, take full credit because it's a blue wave and, you know, just run the table and, and run the momentum versus slowing the momentum down to stop something that constitutionally probably can't be stopped and is unlikely to be happening anyway, you know, four years out. So a lot, thing, a lot, a lot of stuff changes in four years. So, um, so that's kind of what's what the push and pull is around that. Now, the plan is also gonna lay out infrastructure spending and plans to attack climate change. And it will also lay out tax raising plans, which is catching the market off guard a little bit this morning. Uh, uh, Jim Reed over at Deutsche Bank said, and that's true, you know, so the increase in dividend tax potentially and getting this stuff through Congress is gonna be a little tricky. And I think they're probably gonna push off the, they're gonna, they're gonna jawbone the tax stuff hard. But I think to put it out too soon, unless it's just targeted at like big tech and over million dollar incomes, um, putting out too soon is really going to stunt the recovery and cost them more in terms of stimulus. So it'll probably be done closer to next year. And my guess it'll just be for high income earners. I, I, I don't see them wanting to go too crazy on on the um, corporate tax, maybe some type of alternative minimum tax for people not ta paying taxes. But um we'll we'll see what happens there but that's what what had it off target uh we've talked in recent podcasts and video casts about a mid-teens return based on all the statistics and all the different studies that that we've done and talked about uh goldman came out to confirm that they're talking about 14 they're expecting the s p to rise 14 percent in 2021 that seems ballpark and what they're saying is that uh gdp estimates are too low which we've been saying since august uh, consensus at 4.2. They've just moved.